0: I'm Rosanna, and this is AFL Obsessed. I can't believe I'm saying this, but this is the 50th episode. (laughs) So before we get to the playbill, I just want to thank all of you for listening. I can't tell you how grateful I am that you've been hanging with me on this journey. And I feel like we've been through so much together, especially in this last year with AFL Obsessed at home and also on the road while I was away working remotely and just recording in so many different places and spaces. So you know I'm always here for you if you want to drop me a line or share any thoughts and please keep telling me what you want to hear and If you have any cues that you'd like me to answer in any future episodes, you can just put in the subject line, like question for the pod or whatever, and I will read it out on the podcast. My email is aflfootyobsessed at gmail and aflobsessed on Twitter. And for anyone just finding this pod, thanks for checking it out. And I hope you'll stay a while. So let's get to it and dive into the opening overture of my overall thoughts on the week and where we're at now. A couple of things from New York City. According to the CDC, if you are fully vaccinated now, you no longer have to wear a mask outside. So I think that's kind of exciting just because I know that our really humid summers are approaching and it's already getting pretty muggy with having a mask on. I mean, I'm still doing it just out of courtesy for others and out of respect, but I'm starting to feel like we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel and it's kind of maybe getting bigger and a little bit closer. (laughs) And Andrew and I are getting our second shot, as I told you guys, in just a couple of days. So we're really looking forward to that. I told you guys that Andrew and I were on the hunt for an apartment. And I just have to tell you what it's really like to search for apartments in the city. In case you're curious, I guess just to illustrate what it's like to hunt for apartments in Manhattan. It's definitely the kind of place where You may or may not cry when you're looking at real estate just because of maybe spacing issues and capacity. I know there were a couple of units that we looked at with literally not a closet (laughs) at all in the entire apartment. And I think we were in Nolita looking at a place that we were really excited about. And we were both thinking this is going to be the place once we see the space, if it looks anything like the photos and if they're is any space. Um, Actually, I think it was in Little Italy. (laughs) So um, but yeah, we're just renting, we're not looking to buy. And it was a hilarious sort of situation where the realtor showed us a studio and assumed we might not notice it was actually not a one bedroom. (laughs) But you know, there's no door to where the bed or anything around that would be. But we walked into the place and there was kind of a little small, almost like foyer area that was just so compact. You really had nothing else to do but like look out the window. And so I couldn't help but look out the window. And in kind of like typical New York spaces, I feel like there's a fire escape which kind of covers almost the entire window. And I just happened to peek out as we're kind of touring the place. And there was a bird kind of lying down like a pigeon at eye level on the fire escape. And I looked closer and the bird was decapitated. I am so sorry. I should have put a trigger warning before um, telling you that part of the story. But it's just such a cutthroat place for you know, finding apartments. And so I guess the bird didn't survive the apartment search and hunt. But the craziest thing was after we kind of took a look at the place, we were on our way out and Andrew and I were just kind of discussing what we thought. And Andrew literally said, you know, I got to be honest, the bird wasn't a deal breaker for him, (laughs) which was, you know, I'm not a superstitious person, but if you were looking for a sign not to sign for a place, I think that would probably be it. But that said, we did manage to find our new place and we did sign for it. So we'll be moving this weekend. So that's kind of exciting for us, which means that that will officially end our grand adventure and it's going to come to a close. And one other thing to note, too, just in the area that we've been staying It's kind of shocking to see that at least half of the restaurants and all the food trucks surrounding the area are completely gone. So for all of my kind of Marvel listeners, it's almost like when, sorry for everyone else, but... I am a Marvel fan. It's kind of like when Thanos just like snapped his fingers and instantly like eradicated half of all of life in the universe. It's just kind of startling to see how many things have actually left. I know we've mentioned before over 4,000 plus restaurants have closed in the city alone. It's just one of those things where it's kind of hard to reconcile. And I know that I really want the city to just be what it was and I know that it's changed and we all have a new normal to adapt to but it's just one of those things that you know have happened in the aftermath of COVID and it's just really sad. And moving on to lighter news let's get to footy and on to act one with AFL news and highlights. So a deal has been reached to get Aussie footy back on our TV screens here in the U.S. So broadcast games will be starting again this weekend. And I know you know that I'm always ecstatic over having access for more eyeballs and for all of my Americans to get to watch too. So they've actually announced coverage through round 10, which is really exciting and for Canadian audiences too. Some of the biggest news though from the weekend four things. So one, Victoria shut their border briefly to Perth and Perth went into a snap three day lockdown over the weekend after a Melbourne man tested positive after doing a Perth quarantine. So Western Australia did go into lockdown and they've said that I think, I think they've said actually that it's done its job. So that's really great for them. And people will still have to quarantine and self isolate after traveling from Western Australia. And two, that actually put the kangaroos in quarantine. So the kangaroos actually following their game in Western Australia, the Dockers and the Roos actually, I don't know if you guys noticed, they went ahead last weekend, but in front of no crowd at Optus Stadium. And three, Dusty is actually traveling to see his dad. So he's traveling to New Zealand after getting clearance from Richmond and He got a concussion over the weekend during the game, so that's 12 days that he can't train or play, and I think Dima actually talked about how he's been suffering with some foot pain too afterwards, so Dusty has boarded his flight, and he's been told that he won't receive special treatment in the event that the country does have to go into lockdown or if there's a COVID outbreak or any self-imposed quarantine after traveling, he's going to have to abide by all of that because there is a travel bubble right now between both countries, which makes Dusty the first AFL player to stamp his passport since the pandemic hit over a year ago now. And four, it seems like there's always news regarding presidents with each new episode, and I feel like There's just so much visibility now, but Carleton president Mark LeJudis has announced that he'll be standing down at the end of the season and later in the year. Interestingly enough, though, with Mark, he was criticized for being just the invisible man in previous years, but he's been in the role for eight now. And just some moments from the weekend, the Bulldogs are still undefeated. So congrats to the doggies. It was a bit of a costly win, I think, and a really emotional night filled with player injuries. I know Lin Zhang has had such a hard fight previously with injuries, and I'm always so happy to see him on the field. So just to see him kind of carried off was really difficult. And Dunkley and English also have injuries. I know Dunkley's going to be out, I think, now for a few months. And Geelong pounded the Eagles by 97 points, so that was kind of a surprise, I think. And the Suns shined over Sydney. Sydney actually made history um, unintentionally, I think, with an all-female trainer group for the AFL team. So I thought that was kind of an exciting little thing to see. And the Ds are still on top after also beating Richmond, so congrats to the Demons. And the big Collingwood-Essenden-Anzac Day match, that was such a great back-and-forth game, and one of the more exciting ones that I've seen recently, I, I just want to point out actually that Andrew fell asleep at quarter time, which is hard to imagine, but it did happen. It was just definitely exhausting, I think, for me, because by the time the game ended, it was just after 4 a.m., but... At the same time that I was exhausted, it was exhilaratingly captivating. And it was really just great to see Parrish and Walla. And I think just the pressure and the consistency of the team fighting through those four quarters. You know, I've docked them before for kind of losing steam in the third and then just trying to, you know, launch or make a comeback in the final quarter. But there was really great intent and Everyone was just all in. There was absolutely no ball watching for the team. And they really brought this aggressive edge that I really hope continues for the remainder of the season. And there was a record number of attendees at that game, particularly at the G. And actually, since COVID started shutting sports down across the world, there was a record number of attendants, I think, since COVID with 78,113 people there. And I know that I've talked about Anzac Day and there's always fond memories surrounding my experience, but just a quick rewind. I mean, we're not going to full like a memento this, but in 2019, when I went, I was just thinking about the phone story from last week. And I almost forgot this happened because it didn't really affect my experience at all, but just before the game, you know, we actually lined up really early to get seats. And just before the game, I think I just ran to the bathroom because I was like, okay, I'm just gonna take a really quick break and then I'll be ready for whatever happens. And I actually left my phone in the stall. So I ran back to watch that amazing ceremony um, in my excitement, really. And of course, realizing, oh no, I, I'm going to want to capture this. So I ran back to the bathroom and my phone was gone. So it was something that I realized immediately. I But I honestly, I don't even know, I didn't even panic. So I watched that amazing ceremony. The game was so amazing. And I think I checked again at quarter time and again at halftime. And I know Andrew was like, we kind of maybe just have to be okay with that not being around. It was actually my work phone. So that was kind of one of those things where I think maybe, (laughs) maybe I should have panicked a little more. But the entire time I was just beaming because of the game and the environment and just being in my favorite place. And I remembered heading back in and there was a person in the bathroom who was cleaning and they were so sweet and trying to let me use their phone to maybe try to find (laughs) my phone, but um, no dice. So yeah, I kind of just went on per usual through the game. And I think at three-quarter time, we checked with the lost and found, and they had my phone. So just, I, you know, that stadium can hold over 100,000 people. I think that day there was over 92,000 people. So mad props to... Australians and footy fans, I love the community, but just the fact that my phone was there and didn't disappear. I mean, I can't say that that would be the same case here in the US in any of our stadiums. I'm just thinking, I don't want to put us down, but maybe even at like MSG or anything like that, I think I would have just had to be resigned with the fact that I wouldn't see it again. But that was just kind of one of those things where it just added to my experience so much more. And I really just felt. As safe as you can feel and happy as you can feel in a stadium, but getting my phone back too was amazing. But back to the weekend. So Jeremy Cameron is back, and that was really exciting. And Causey actually hit five goals in his game. (laughs) He kicked five goals, um, which were only answered in the opposition by rookie Riley Thilthorpe, who I think we all remember from the draft. And... Just all the best to the boys um, that, you know, maybe didn't have the greatest of games. I know we had quite a few injuries this week. Hopefully they'll all be back before we know it. But what did you guys think about the games? My email is aflfootyobsessed at gmail and aflobsessed on Twitter if you'd like to share. Okay, it's intermission, so quickly during this time, let's just cut away to other sports. I don't know if you guys have been watching the Mets at all, but there was a total degromination against the Nationals in this brilliant performance by de He gave no walks and had just kind of this unforgettable master finish on such a high note and a record breaker on the mound and on the plate where he basically pitched a perfect game and even got two hits. And the second of which was just icing on the cake because he got to score a run. So that's just been an amazing thing thing for us to see. And Japan has actually declared a state of emergency due to the pandemic, but the Olympics will still go ahead later this year. But now we're on to act two, where we have discussions about relevant footy topics and issues because there's always so many footy things to discuss. And lately I feel like there's been so much talk surrounding the coaches, specifically the head coaches. I feel like there's so much scrutiny On them after the games with regards to team performance, you know, are they executing? Is there pressure? Is there flow and confidence and structure? And is there a clear and effective game plan and strategy? Is there an erosion of depth anywhere that we have to take into consideration? I mean, we all speculate, I think, with our own teams and also with other teams And I feel like the discussions and articles now particularly are centered around are the wheels falling off at Collingwood? You know, what's going on at Carlton? I think Wusha is now advising Teague and Ratton. constantly is asked about how his team is going, but also with Truck too. I think it's a bit unfair with him because I think... Everyone has an opinion, but you know, you can't flood the field with rookies and then say there's no clear game planner style. But also with last year and the hubs and hub life and all of the personal news for some of the coaches. I know there was a lot of focus around Ree Shaw, and you know, did he have the support that he needed? So I'm personally fascinated with coaching dynamics and Almost like this precarious balancing act where they have to kind of find the right tone. I think Making Their Mark really gave us an inside look at that. If any of you have watched it, I know I'm basically just an evangelist for the series and a tireless one. But, you know, I have my rhetoricals, I have those rhetorical questions I told you guys about. And I'm always curious how you go about pushing individuals and steering them to team success while also just making sure that you, know, you have the resources and the support and an infrastructure in place to build a team to succeed. And I know there's all these things that you really have to think about, like whether to play every kid that you have or to play every game to win. And what's the most important element really of kind of just building a team? Is it the connection? Is it their performance? Is it growth? Is it an environment that they need it in to thrive, really? So I guess I'm always kind of evaluating and analyzing what makes a great coach kind of rise to the next level or what makes a good team great or exceptional. And really, how do you coach premiership players? And I've always wondered, I think, as I've said, just because of the balancing act, how are the coaches able to kind of continue to make the sport fun, which I imagine is just why every player started playing in the first place, you know, but also to kind of strike this competitive balance, because they have to be competitive when they go out there. So I think the head coaches really have such a difficult job to kind of weave and carve out a path to put The team in a position to succeed really every day, not just on game day. And I think that it's so difficult to assess really if a player is playing up to their playing potential. And every player really needs to know kind of where they stand with the coach. And they have to, the coach, I think, has to have an awareness of, you know, where each player stands on their team and what their contribution is going to be, especially in the AFL when we're moving players around and kind of figuring out what position would be best for them to play in. But I just feel like head coaches get such a bad rap when they really have so much on their plate. I mean, they have to get to know the players and figure out what motivates them. I think different players have... Different needs and they respond in different ways. I know some probably want to be pushed and some kind of need to really, I guess you just have to understand the circumstances of every single player on the team and kind of connecting with them and things off the field, too, really define players. I think really well rounded players actually need some time away from the game to decompress and kind of process and really relax. And I think that's why hub life was so challenging last season, because, you know, players want to be able to surf or play golf. And I really kind of get that even from the last dance. If you guys will remember, Dennis Rodman just really needed some Vegas time. And I really don't begrudge players for doing other things. I think with that creativity, too, I think you really learn to use different muscles. And I think even some coaches will say, you know, players should play other sports to kind of apply different muscles and get ideas from other games that you can use and apply it in the sport that they're, you know, an elite athlete in. But I think really to be a head coach, you have to be humble and collaborative and authoritative. You have to be a master communicator and you have to be comfortable managing a team and accept being managed at the same time, which I think is really difficult And every coach is kind of managing in multiple directions at once, really. So they kind of have to have this patience. But I think when they can really find that great balance with all the great coaches that we've seen, great coaching can actually really transcend sport. So I think that, I don't know, I think I just have so much more empathy when I really think about, you know, I want to know their opinion about how games have gone, especially with my team. But I know that, you know, we all have an opinion about their opinion, too. (laughs) So I think they get like a little bit of a bad rap. But, you know, I think I'm just really excited and interested to see where all the different teams are headed this year and what's going to happen with a lot of the teams that I mentioned. And now it's the after show with my tips for round seven. So when the Tigers and Bulldogs game, I really hope the Bulldogs keep their streak. In the Pies versus Suns, I think the Suns will have an opportunity here, and I really hope that they take it. In the Crows versus Giants, um, that'll be a really interesting game. I think I'm going to go with the Giants here. In the Saints versus Hawks, I think I'm going to go with the Hawks here too. And in the Lions versus Power, that's going to be a really great game. I think I'm going to have to stick with the Power here, but that game could really go either way. And the Swans versus the Cats game will be a really great game to watch. I think I'm going to go Swans here. Uh, Ruse versus D's. I'm going with the D's in their streak. And the Bombers versus Blues. I'm going to up the Dons again here. Don't disappoint me, Bombers. And in the Eagles versus the Dockers, I think the Eagles will take that game. So Ben Brown will be making his Demon debut against his old team this weekend. And I think the Bulldogs have agreed to go with Shachi over Hagen's debut. So that's it for me. Thanks for listening, rating, subscribing, and writing, everyone. And thanks for hanging around for the show. Stay safe and healthy. Check on your friends and neighbors. We'll get through this like footy. I'm virtually hugging you, and we'll talk footy soon.